We are going to be in Matthew chapter 26, and we are going to begin in verse 6, and uh, I've given this little lesson, or what, what the Lord wants to say this morning, the title, I Have Need. And uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 6, we're going to start reading. It says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he, had set, as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me, for ye have the poor always uh, with you, but me ye have not always. For in, the, uh, for in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, whosoever or wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Uh, they're sitting down at the feast at this le- with this leper at this leper's house, and uh, Jesus is sitting there, and the disciples uh, were all around him, and this woman comes in, this woman comes in off the, off the street or, or wherever, uh, it just says that she comes in and she takes an alabaster box, uh, a very precious ointment. And now an alabaster box full of ointment was, uh, was what they did, uh, was a, a, maybe a ceremonial, maybe necessary. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't really research the history of it. I'm just going off of what I've kind of learned over here in different ministers preach. But this was an oil that was put on dead people, the, their bodies. Uh, maybe to help them not stink as bad, whatever the case may be. I would, uh, from what I've seen of pictures and the way thing, uh, and the terrain in that land, it was real rocky. So usually in rocky areas, you can't dig real deep, or the tomb has to be on top. So maybe that was something they did to cut down on the smell. Because if you could imagine going by a graveyard. And all the dead bodies in there would start to stink. So maybe that's had something to do with it and they made it ceremonial. Anyway, so this ointment, that as time went on, I would assume the ointment became more precious and more uh, social status in a sense. To such a point that they, they say that uh, a, an alabaster box could have cost up to a year's wages. So... Uh, it's very expensive, very precious, and that's why the disciples, whenever they said, "Could we? What a waste this was!" She used it and and broke it and and poured this oil out on Jesus, who's not dead, and could not could we not have sold it and give it to the poor? Would there not have been a greater purpose? Because there's something better we could have done, and and what Jesus is saying is that. Uh, uh, that the, what the woman has done was a good work on him. Uh, Jesus seen that and knew, uh, knew that this was for his burial. Uh, 
that God had purposed this to happen as a symbolic uh, reference to his burial. But what I believe that uh, what Jesus is, is telling us this morning, because the title is I Have Need, uh, what, I, what this woman has done is she came and she has worshipped Christ. She has worshipped Jesus in that place. And what I find interesting is that you're, he's surrounded by his disciples. These are men of God uh, that are with Jesus. These are the hand-picked, uh, hand-chosen men that Jesus personally selected to be his disciples. And they are sitting around thinking, what is this person doing? Why are they breaking the, Why is she breaking this box, pouring it on Jesus? Couldn't we be doing something better than that? Couldn't we be doing something more useful? Couldn't we be doing something uh, more needful? With that situation. And uh, so what I see God is telling us is this morning. What God's been telling me is that uh, when we come into his house. When we come in uh, to his presence. Uh, we find ourselves like these disciples. We come into a church. And, and I, all that I'm going to say this morning. Is I'm just as guilty as anybody else. So I'm going to be saying we a lot. And when I say we I really mean me too. So we come and we sit in a church and we realize that we are like these disciples. We just sit and we're in his presence and we know, okay, Jesus is over there and he's doing his thing. But if anybody ever comes in with something a little bit different, with something a little bit radical, with something a little bit interesting, with something that we don't quite see as normal, we'll kick back, we'll kind of draw back and think, do they really need to be doing that? And that's our fear is that if we, if God ever leads us into something, to do something outside of the norm, if God ever leads us to do something more than just sit in our pew and not raise our hands, if he ever leads us to actually stand up, to worship God, to, to sing praise to him, calls us into something greater, we find ourselves uh, fearful that these people are going to be looking at us. That these people that are sitting around, because we know they're there. We know all these people are there. We know that the disciples were there listening and watching and being a part of it. But they didn't have the same mindset that this woman had. What was that mindset that she had? She came in contact with Jesus. She came in contact with somebody that was worthy, more worthy for that box, that precious ointment uh, that had a significant value. We don't understand it because that's not in our culture. But this is very, very precious to her. So she's taking this thing and she's saying that Jesus is worthy of this most precious thing in my life. Yes. He's, he is so worthy for it. I'm giving it over to him. And then there's the men in the in, uh, the disciples that are saying that that is not necessary. They're telling that woman, no, you need to just calm down. We could have used that differently. And we're afraid that that's what's going to happen. If we ever decide, if we ever uh, feel the need or feel the urge or feel the, uh, the desire to stand and worship God or proclaim Christ or to witness, that we're afraid that these people that, uh, that are with Jesus, that call themselves disciples, that are a part of Christ's uh, calling are going to look at you and think no that's not the way we operate you need to just sit down calm down we're calm here we, we don't worship you know your people's going to look at you 
People's going to say this about you. And it made me think while uh, the Lord was showing me these things. It made me think of that woman that was caught in adultery. That uh, the accusers came and brought her before. And, and brought her before the, the Jesus. The, these men did. They caught her in adultery. It was plain. The, the consequences in those time was to be stoned to death. They were going to throw rocks at her until she died. And that was the consequence for that. And so they brought her to Jesus. And the point that I want to, uh, the part that I want to point out is that whenever Jesus stood there, he, he mentioned something, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they left. But Jesus looking down at her said, where's, I, where's your accusers? Where are they? And she looked around and there was nobody there. She was all alone. Just her and Jesus. And she said, there is none. And Jesus said, I, I, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's what he, what he was saying. He's saying, I don't condemn you. Nobody here is condemning you. Go back home. Go do what I am telling you to do. Mm-hmm. Listen to me and have that freedom to go back to your life and, and be called of God. And what I, what I wanted to bring out is that whenever we come to those situations, uh, come to that circumstance to where God is calling us to do something different. Maybe it's to witness to some friends. Maybe it's to, to be a part of some sort of ministry that is not normal in the setting of people that you're normally around. Maybe He's calling you to be more worshipful. Maybe He's calling you to, to raise your hands in church to lift up your voice whenever there's nobody else lifting up the voice, or simply clap when nobody else is clapping. If you've ever tried to do that, you will understand that that can be difficult. That's why it's hard to worship in this, in this classroom here, is because we are in an atmosphere where it's important to look cool, right? I mean, when you, you don't have to admit it, I understand. I, I feel it too, and I, like I said, I am just as guilty of this. I don't worship in here like I should. Why? Because... Uh, for whatever reason, that fear of what people are going to think is comes over me. We all have that. It's not. It's nothing different. It's not just sep- uh, especially for you. But what is happening here is that whenever we start to be called of God, and I know it's a little bit out of context of that woman being caught in adultery because she was caught in sin. But what is what I'm pointing towards is those accusers. And whenever we come to a place where God's calling us into something. The accusers will come. There will be some, something that comes into our head that says, no, don't do that. So-and-so is going to think you're crazy. Or these people are going to think you're nuts. Or this is going to happen. Or that's going to happen. And that accuser may even... And obviously the, the accuser is Satan himself. That is the enemy of your soul trying to pull you away from what God has done. Trying to pull you away from what God is wanting to do. And that is the accuser there. And we'll bring ourselves down thinking, no, I can't do this. I can't worship. I Remember what I did last week? Or, or nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is raising their hands. I don't want to be the only one. It'll be embarrassing. It'll be difficult. Whatever it is, whatever that is that's coming into your mind, those accusers have brought you before Jesus and they're saying, look, they can't do this. Mm-hmm. They can't. This person cannot achieve what you said you wanted them to do. That woman was brought before uh, the king of glory and these men, in a sense, whether they knew it or not, were acknowledging that he had the judgment 
whether or he had the authority mm-hmm. to whether to cast judgment on her based on the law. Yeah. And she was not able to fulfill that law. And that's what these men were saying was this woman broke the law, the consequence is death. What are you going to do, Jesus? Mm-hmm. And that's what these accusers are bringing us before Jesus whenever he's saying, raise your hands, sing a song, uh, witness to your friends, witness to your family. React in, in whatever way. Uh, respond actually to the message that the preacher is preaching. Go up and pray. Seek after God's face. The accuser is coming and saying, no, they can't. Because you remember this, or you remember that, or them people over there are watching, and they're too scared to do it. These people over here are watching, and they're too scared to do it. But what Jesus is, what Jesus is doing in that moment, just as He did with the woman that was caught in adultery, He's... He rebukes them. And your accusers have no authority. Mm -hmm. They have no power. Because they brought the woman to the judge. Jesus is the judge. Brought brought her to the judge. And the judge said, you're free to go. I don't condemn you. Leave and sin no more. Whenever we're brought before Jesus by our accusers saying that we can't raise our hands. We can't worship God. We can't be an evangelist. We can't be a missionary. We can't be this. We can't be that. No matter what that accusation may be, Jesus will rebuke it. And he's saying, no, I don't uh, condemn you because of your failures. Go and do what I've called you to do. So I understand that's a little out of context, but I thought it was very interesting how our accusers uh, bring us to Christ showing us what we are are not capable of doing. So I want to move on. We're going to go down to verse 30. And it says, and, and this is after the Passover, after the, the Last Supper. Uh, they all sat down, they ate, they did their stuff. So this is at the very end of it. And it says in verse 30, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then said Jesus unto them, all ye have been, uh, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Uh, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night... Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. And I find it interesting that we always point to Peter because he was going. To, he denied Christ three times. He was so bold to stand up and say, No, I'll die for you, Jesus. I will not. I will not. Uh, Leave you. I will not be offended by you. But at the very end, it says, uh, it says, all the disciples did likewise. They all did the same thing. And what I find interesting is that when Jesus, uh, Jesus said this, Peter stood up and said, No, I, I will not deny you. I will not forsake you. I will not uh, be offended by you. I will stand here till the death. And what we find is that. Uh, we are, we are denying Christ. We've denied Christ 
a lot. I deny Christ a lot. Whenever we come into the house of God and we sit in a church and He says, worship me, He speaks to us to raise our hands. He speaks to us to sing our songs. He speaks to us to go up and pray. We deny Christ. We deny Him every time we don't raise our hands. We deny Him every time we don't go to the altar. We deny Him every time that we, uh, that we don't... Uh, do whatever it is he's called. Don't witness to that person that he's told us to do. And we don't even realize how, how uh, wretched we are. How, how in need of Christ we are. And I want to read for you in Revelation, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And it says, uh, this is all real familiar. A lot of people preach from it. It says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot, uh, cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, I have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And the, and the, the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eyes set that thou mayest see. What, uh, what Jesus is saying to the, the church here is that they are they're not hot or cold. They are lukewarm. They think they are rich. They think they have plenty of stuff. They think life is good. They think everything's going perfect because they come into the church and they sit down and they do their little thing. And they don't get outside of the norm. They don't get outside of anything interesting. They don't do anything different than what they've always done because that's fine. It's okay. We're all okay here. We're all saved. We're all happy. We're all going on to heaven. And, and this is just what we do on Sundays and it's no big deal. And that's exactly the attitude that the disciples had when that woman came in with that alabaster box. And she shook it up. She changed everything. She changed it to such a point that they didn't even understand what she was doing. They didn't understand that she was worshiping. They didn't understand that, uh, <clears throat> that what she'd done... Uh, what she was doing was something far greater than they had ever done with Jesus. Though they they were with Him night and day, they didn't even know what this woman was doing. They didn't know the depths of what she was achieving. And what the and uh, what Jesus is speaking to us is that in that same manner, we are like the disciples, sitting in our church service, doing what we always have done, never getting outside of the box that tells us what we should and should not do. We never get beyond what it is that this church in this building uh, does. Never get beyond what we have to do here in this youth group because it's weird and because maybe we should be doing something different. We don't ever come and we don't ever break that alabaster box, that oil. We don't ever pour it out on Jesus because we know that the people around us are going to look at us and think, wow, that's crazy. You shouldn't have to do that. We can just do something different with that excitement. We can do something different for what, uh, with that zeal that you have. And what we find is that we end up being like the disciples, unwilling to, uh, 
unwilling to step out and worship God completely, unwilling to step out and glorify God. And we, and we know that we are denying Christ, just like Peter, whenever he came and he denied Christ three times, Jesus said, you will deny me. We deny him every time we don't raise our hands. We deny him every time we don't respond to the preaching uh, from the pastor. We deny him every time when we don't witness to that person that we witness to. And because of this, we think everything is okay. We go on with our lives like nothing's changed. We think that we're fine because we're saved and we come to church every Sunday. And we come to church on Wednesdays. We think it's okay, but whenever we come down to it, is Jesus telling us that we are neither hot nor cold? Is He telling us that we're lukewarm? That we think that we are, uh, we are these... Uh, righteous, great people that we are so rich and bountiful in the Spirit. Will He rebuke us the way He did? And, uh, but in verse 19, I want, us to, I want us to know that what Jesus says here. He says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. It says as many, in verse 19, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. What he's saying is that if what, what is happening this morning is not God ang- being angry with us. What God is speaking to us this morning is not Him saying, you've messed up, you're done. Get out. No, that's the accuser that's telling you that you have gone too far, that you've set by too long, that I've set by too long, that we have set around and not worshipped God the way we should worship, not uh, witnessed the way we should witness, not prayed the way we should pray. This is uh, God rebuking our accusers and telling us that He does not condemn us, that He wants us to be zealous and repent. He wants us to be zealous and just listen to Him. Start now. Like the woman that was caught in adultery, she did not have to do anything great. She simply stood up and went home like Jesus said. She simply stood up and accepted the grace and the mercy that Jesus gave. And what He's saying here, because what He told in verse 18 was that He showed how wretched and miserable we are because he said go and get me gold tried in the fire go get gold that is so pure uh, that you uh, that you can't find that here you can't find that on earth the purity of gold that what he's talking about isn't to go and find actual gold and he's talking about find a white raiment that you might be clothed and the shame of thy nakedness do not do not appear anoint thy eyes with eyes salve that thou mayest see in verse 18, he's kind of mocking. He's kind of doing like he did Job. And he's saying, go get me these things. If you're so rich, if you're so good, go get me these things. And what he's saying is that they can't be found. They can only be found in Jesus. And that's what he's saying. He's not, rebu- or he's, he's not angry with us, but he's rebuking us and cha- uh, chastening us because he loves us. He wants our worship. He wants us to be like that woman that brought in the alabaster box. He wants us to come in. He wants us to come into this church house with a a different mindset of I'm going to worship God even if it's outside the way other people in this church worship because I love Him. 
because I understand that He is the God of glory and that He deserves my praise and He deserves my worship. It doesn't matter what my accusers say that I'm too young or that I'm too uh, broken or that I'm too sinful or that I'm too... Uh, too far gone. It doesn't matter what the accusers say because before Jesus, Jesus will rebuke those accusers and he will uh, tell you that he does not condemn you like he did here, that he's telling us that he's rebuking us, showing us what it is that we're doing wrong so that we can go out and live for him, to to worship him, that we can be corrected by him. There is no other way that we can achieve this greatness. There is no other way that we can achieve being uh, as these uh, as this church thought that they were that they're uh, that they were uh, rich with increase and that they were that everything was okay. We do not achieve that outside of God. We do not achieve real uh, true riches outside of Christ. So that is why we must submit to Him. We must realize that He doesn't condemn us. We must realize that what we are doing in this normal routine, that it may not be pleasing to God. It, the, the disciples were in no way being, uh, uh, being sinful by, by not doing what this woman was doing. They were just right with Jesus, just as right as she was. But the difference was is that she came in with a worship that pleased Him. And they didn't understand it. So let's not allow ourselves to get so caught up in the routine of just showing up. Not get caught up in what everybody else is doing. But to see Christ for who He is. To see what He's, to hear what it is that He's speaking to us and how He wants us to worship. And obeying that. And being willing to stand up. Even though that, that, uh, that fear comes in of what are they going to think of me? Even though that fear, that thought comes in of they're going to think I'm crazy. Nobody else is doing this. Nobody else is worshiping this way. Nobody else is witnessing at school. Nobody else is. Uh, uh, nobody else is going to all this stuff, doing all these things for Christ. So I'm not going to do it. We got to get past that. We've got to realize that God is worthy. We've got to get past. The accusers. We've got to get past that uh, confusion and the concern that what we're, what God is calling us to do is weird. Because if He's calling us to it, it is exactly what He wants for us. So. Uh, no, I'll say-